0: that is written to encourage brethren, Hebrew brethren, who are on the verge of defecting. They're under severe persecution, it seems either from the Romans or from the Jews or both. And they are thinking within themselves that they can reject Christ and go back to their Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion is sanctioned by Rome and it certainly would be approved by their Jewish uh, brethren, So they want to go back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews, which I am ninety-nine point nine 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 percent sure, is the Apostle Paul. There are some academics out there that say it could not possibly be the, the Apostle Paul. But if you understand Paul and Pauline logic and Pauline theology, it's all here. And it's very rich. So it's a Hebrew apostle, believe the Apostle Paul, speaking to Hebrew brethren and encouraging them to remain faithful. Let's pick up the context now. So beginning in Hebrews 1, the subject of Hebrews 1, first of all, the subject of Hebrews is how superior Christ is to everything in Judaism. Everything in Judaism is great, but Christ is superior to everything. And in chapter 1, it begins off showing us that Christ is superior to the prophets. Chapter 2, he's superior to the angels. And let's just pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Because Christ is superior to the prophets, and because he's superior to the angels, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So, in, in times past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But today, he speaks to us through Christ himself, through his own son. And his son is superior to the prophets. His son is superior to the angels. So therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to what the son is teaching, lest we should allow it to slip. Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. In other words, all of that revelation that came to ancient Israel through the angels, if they disobeyed that revelation, they would be severely punished. We are now receiving revelation from Christ. If they were severely punished for disobeying that revelation, how much more will we be punished if we disobey Christ? That's what he's telling the Hebrews. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And by the way, this verse is why the academics say it is not Paul that wrote the uh, epistle to the Hebrews. Because Paul received the revelation directly from Christ. And it says here, That whoever is writing says that at first it was spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. But Paul is a Jew. And the apostles came to the Jews. They brought the gospel to the Jews first. Paul rejected it until he was struck down. So yes, of course, it was brought to, he can say, us and be included with the Jewish body of those who received the gospel from the apostles. But then he himself was made an apostle. So it's a very weak argument to say that Paul did not write the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, he makes the argument that Moses was great, Christ is greater than Moses. In chapter 3, he goes on to say that the rest that Joshua offered Israel was great, the rest that Christ offers is greater. And let's just pick up um, chapter 3, verse 11. Where it says here, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. These are the ancient Israelites who disobeyed. They were unfaithful. So God was angry with them for their unfaithfulness. And he swore in his wrath that they will not enter the rest that Joshua offered. Take heed, brethren. This is a Hebrew believer speaking to Hebrew believers. Be careful, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. And this is the whole context of Hebrews 11. That the Hebrew brethren are on the verge of turning their back on Christ. And the argument that the apostle is making is, Christ is superior to everything in Judaism. So why are you turning your back on Christ to go back to Judaism? And what I love about the book of Hebrews is this is true religion. This is, this is an insider's conversation. This is a Hebrew talking to Hebrews about true religion. And so all of the Gentile confusion and Greek philosophy is not here. So we can, we can test Pentecostalism and, and all of this uh, Sunday worship and all of this false religion, which comes from Greek philosophy, and we can put it up against Hebrews. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, because this is true religion. On the other hand, some of us have leanings towards Messianic Christianity. Well, look, these people wanted to go back to Judaism. And the Apostle is saying, Christ is superior to all of that. We have to understand, Messianic Christians, we can't go to them for truth. They must come to us. The whole reason for Messianic Christianity is these Jews... Begin to see that Christ is in fact Savior. And so they now want to become Christians. And when they go to the Christian churches, which worship on Sunday, which worship the Trinity, which have Christmas trees and Easter, they're looking at all of this and say, this does, We don't understand this. This is not our culture. We want to be Christian, but we still want to be Jews. And so they start this messianic movement as a protest to false Christianity. Why are we, as true Christians, going to Messianic to learn from them? They need to learn from us. We're not trying to be Jewish. We're obeying Christ. But true religion is rooted in the Hebraic root. And we are being grafted into this, but it doesn't mean we give up our culture. It doesn't mean we become Jewish. We are Christians in every culture. And we need to tolerate each other's cultures. But understand that the true religion is rooted in, Hebraic cult, in the Hebraic uh, religion. So here he says, Take heed, verse 12, Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And Pastor Murray covered that this morning how we need one another. There is no such thing as an independent Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who can go it alone. We need each other. We have to create a community where we support each other. We edify one another. Even the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, he understood there's no such thing as an independent Christian. He was still in relationship with the body. He was still writing letters and encouraging and receiving letters and in communication. We cannot do this alone. We need to exhort one another and edify one another. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. This is a crisis. The people of God are about to lose everything. They are on track to eternal life. They are on track to eternal life with Jesus Christ. And they are about to turn their back on him and lose everything. This is a major crisis. And the apostle is doing everything he can to encourage them to remain faithful. And by extension, we can take this encouragement. Verse 2. For unto us... Was the gospel preached as well as unto them? So ancient Israel received the gospel, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So you can see from the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, it's all about faith. And when we get to Hebrews 11, which we call the faith chapter, this is a misnomer because Hebrews, the entire book, is the faith book. And it's coming into Hebrews 11. But Hebrews 11 doesn't stand by itself. It's in context. And the brethren would have heard this sermon in context. They would be listening to the whole message. They wouldn't listen to Hebrews 11 by itself. And so he's building an argument. And it's all about faith in Christ. And there's nothing to turn back to. Verse 11, let us therefore, let us labor therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. This is the the faith book. He goes on in Hebrews 5 then to show that Aaron was a great high priest. Christ is greater. He goes on to talk about the greatness of the Levitical priesthood and says that Christ's priesthood is greater. Then, in chapter 6, he encourages them, but also warns them. And look at uh, verse 11 of chapter 6, where we see the encouragement. And we desire that every single one of you, so this congregation of Hebrews, every single one of them, the apostles' desire is that everybody succeed. So we desire that every single one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. This is the message of Hebrews 11. That every single one of you, every single one of you, uh, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is the reality. Verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. This is the context of Hebrews 11. That we need to look at the example. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Don't take Christ for for, for granted. Be diligent. Really understand what we are a part of. And go after it with your whole heart. Don't be lazy. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we're coming to Hebrews 11, where he's going to articulate very clearly who these these examples are. But he's setting it up. Verse 15, speaking of Abraham. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So there's a promise, there's endurance, and it's after the endurance that you obtain the promise. Then Hebrews 7, he goes back to the greatness of the Melchizedekian priesthood and how much greater it is than than Aaron. And then in chapter 8, he speaks of the covenant, this holy, sacred covenant that God has with his people and how great this covenant is. But the covenant with Christ is greater. So chapter 8 is how great the covenant with Christ is and how much greater it is than the old covenant. The the old covenant is now obsolete in the presence of the covenant of Christ. Then in chapter 9, he speaks of the tabernacle and how much greater Christ's tabernacle is. Chapter 9, verse 2 For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick or the, the lampstand, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And then he goes on to talk about the sanctuary. And then in verse 11, but Christ, being come a high priest of the great things to come. Oh, brethren, some, some amazing things are coming. And Christ is the high priest of these good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle. You thought the tabernacle with ancient Israel was great? It was. But the tabernacle with Christ is greater. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So in every, all the riches of Judaism, all the riches of the ancient Israelite religion, we acknowledge how great they are. But in every way, Christ makes them obsolete. And Christ is greater. What are you turning your back on? What are you going back to? There's nothing to go back to. And in fact, within a few years, the temple would be destroyed. And there would be nothing in Judaism. And Judaism was all centered around the temple. And the Romans would come and just level it. So what are you going back to? Now we come to Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, because of the greatness of Christ and the greatness of his priesthood, Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So the the high priest, the Aaronic high priest, could only enter into the holiest of holies once a year on the Feast of Atonement. And and when he did, the whole nation held its breath. Because we don't know if he's going to come out alive. He's going into the holy of holies. And if there's anything done incorrectly, God will strike him dead. But he can only enter once a year, and not without blood. He has to shed blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people, and then go in and hope that the sacrifice is accepted. Showing that God is not accessible. And there's just this one allowance when they can go into the holiest of holies. Through Christ, we can have boldness. We can go straight into the true tabernacle. Right into the Holy of Holies at any time. With boldness. That's what Christ gives us. This is a superior high priest. By a new, verse 20, and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about. Have faith, brethren. Understand what a great high priest we have. And believe in him. And enter into the holiest of holies with confidence. Because that's the faith in, in our high priest, that's what it should give us. Verse 23. Sorry, verse 22 let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And now he's going to come into Hebrews 11 and tell us about this faith. But first the instruction is, come into the Holy of Holies with our High Priest in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So the blood of Christ can can wash our conscience and we can be clear and true and faithful without wavering. Why? For he is faithful, that promised. If there's, if there's one lesson that we must learn when we read the scriptures, it's that God is faithful. God keeps covenant. Man doesn't. Man is horrible. Man is faithless, but He is faithful. And because He is faithful and we understand how faithful He is, we can be confident in this covenant, for he is faithful, that promised. Verse 24, again, going back to Pastor Murray's sermon this morning, which, by the way, has been uploaded, and it's accessible. And if anybody missed that, please uh, go to CGIBurlington.org. You need to listen to that, because there's a foundation that Pastor Murray laid that as the ministry goes forward, if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand what we're doing. So so please make sure that you you listen to that, that sermon that Pastor Murray gave. But here it is again, verse 25, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This is a congregation in crisis. This is a congregation about to turn its back on Christ. What is the antidote? It's to have faith in Christ and to consider one another. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. Build each other up not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And people will read this and say, oh, see, you shouldn't miss Sabbath services. When we read this in context, this is not about missing Sabbath services. This is about not understanding that you're part of a community and not fully embracing the community that you're a part of and you walk away from the community. Attending Sabbath services is a footnote. Of course you should be there every week. But that's the minimum. What you really should be a part of is the community and have those strong communal bonds and do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So some are doing this and they're falling away and they're turning their back on Christ. Don't do that. Do the opposite. Exhort one another. Exercise your faith to exhort the faith in another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We really have to be committed to each other. We we have to be all in. Be all in. And and inspire each other to be all in. So this is now the context of Hebrews 11. And we won't go there, but in Philippians 2, verse 12, he encourages them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you look at that verb, work out, "katagazomai," it is second person plural. So when he's telling them to work out your own salvation, he's not saying, you as an individual, make sure you're right with Christ and that you get eternal life. That's not the message. The message is, you as an assembly, as a community, work together to work out your salvation. That's the message. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. If you're an individual Christian, I have a message for you from Jesus Christ. Not interested. Not interested. God is looking for a team. He's looking for a community. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, and this again is not just speaking of, you know, you made a mistake. This is turning your back on your high priest. If you turn your back on Jesus Christ willfully, after you have received the knowledge of the truth, There remains no more sacrifice for sin. That's it. That's curtains. Game over. You know sometimes you're playing these video games and the screen just freezes? Game over. Look at Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. And verse 4. So this is looking at, again, he's repeating himself in, in Hebrews 10, that if we sin willfully, it's game over. If we we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the, the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And then verse 6, it says, if, that's not a proper translation, it should still say and. It's a cumulative building. And... They have fallen away, which is in the aorist tense. It means it's something that happened in the past, and it continues to happen today. So so we're building this case. If they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done this, and they've done this, and after all of that, they've fallen away, and they are still turning their back on Christ, you know what? It's impossible to renew them again, verse 6, unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I, I just, words fail me. I, I'm not able to articulate the gravity of Hebrews 11. You know, we're Christians, and we say, Hebrews 11, oh, it's the faith chapter. It's the faith chapter. Where do we get this? Hebrews 11 is a stern warning. Don't you dare turn your back. On the high priest, Jesus Christ. Don't you dare. Don't even think about it. Oh, you might lose your life? So what? He lost his life for you. Hebrews 11 is the sternest warning we could possibly receive from Christ himself. It's not happy, happy, happy faith chapter. It's the book of faith. Don't you dare turn your back on Christ. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 27. So, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Instead, this is to the community of faith. Instead, what, what do we face? A certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. So, we go into the enemy camp. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And he's already made the argument that Christ is greater than Moses. So if you despise Moses' law, you died without mercy. Verse 29, of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Yes, we are in a time of grace. Yes, this is about the spirit of grace. And how much sore will we be punished if we turn our back on the spirit of grace? Verse 30. For we know him that has said, vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We are here keeping the feast, brethren, to learn how to fear God. God is not a coffee cup. God is not a coffee cup that you just say, oh, this is so nice. Oh, let me see. Hmm. I, I, think, I think I've had enough of that for now. I'll, I'll come back to that later. I'm going to go do my other thing. We're dealing with the God of Israel. He better be our highest priority. Nothing else better come before him. It is, it is a fearful thing. It is a I can't articulate this. All I can say is what the scripture says and and count that the Holy Spirit will speak to you to say it is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the context of Hebrews 11. Verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. There is great reward for your faith. Don't throw it away. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11. You have to do the will of God first. You have to exercise patience, and then you'll receive the promise. Did you think that you could just waltz into the kingdom of God? Did you think that you could just put your feet up and watch TV and flip through the channels and then one channel says, it's time to enter the kingdom of God? That's not how it works, brethren. We have to endure. What God wants to give us, it is, we, we cannot imagine how great it is. I hope we will take this seriously. And and make God our priority. And not neglect so great a salvation. So, we have need of patience. So, so you have to do the will of God, and then you receive the promise. And that's what we're going to think about going into chapter 11. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. This is the context of Hebrews 11. That if we are righteous, the way that we will live is by faith. Faith will be the operating principle of everything we do. Every decision that we have to make. Should I keep the feast or not? Faith. Should I stand up to my employer or not? Faith. When ISIS comes and threatens me that I have to accept Muhammad as prophet, Do I buckle, or do I stand up and say Christ is king? Faith. Make the big decisions early. Make the big decision now. You will never turn your back on Christ, no matter what. You will obey Christ no matter what. Make those big decisions early, and then live by faith. That's the context of Hebrews 11. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. This is the context of Hebrews 11. Are we going to be just and make all of our decisions by faith? Or are we going to draw back like these brethren were threatening to do? It's in this context that we now read Hebrews 11. Verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. There are brethren who are drawing back unto perdition. They're going out of existence. We're going on to eternal life. They're going out of existence. We're not in that camp. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Faith saves the soul. And we're in that camp. Hebrews 11. Now, let's clarify. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Do you have a vision of the kingdom of God? Do do, do you know what God is extending to you? Do you understand what the new covenant is? And do you hope for it? If you do, you'll have confidence. You'll know that Christ is faithful. And you'll have confidence in the kingdom. It is the evidence of things not seen. And so that's what we're going to see now is evidence that this promise is true. We're going to see evidence that God is faithful because we're going to see faith operating. And when we see that faith operating, we're going to say, wow, whatever he was hoping for, whatever she was hoping for, it must be true. Because to exercise that kind of faith, where you allow yourself to be sawn in half with a wood saw, And you don't buckle? Wow. I see evidence that what he believed or what she believed is true. Verse 2. For by it, the just shall live by faith, by faith the elders obtained a good report. They did. They, They were martyrs. And God approved. And they did that by faith. Faith is the operating energy here, and that's what we need. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, atheists are imbeciles. They think that the universe created itself. We know by faith that the visible things were made by somebody invisible. So now what he's doing now, as he begins to examine the operation of faith, he's taking the Hebrews back to Genesis 1-1. And he's going to take them on a chronological journey through time and show the examples of faith, beginning right from the beginning. Genesis 1-1. Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel. So we just went back to Genesis 1, 1. And the next person mentioned is Abel. There is no regard for Adam. There is no regard for Eve. There is no regard for Cain. Forget them. They demonstrated no faith. The first point of faith is Abel. He offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, The just shall live by faith. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaks. Consider one another, how we may exhort one another. Abel is dead. He's been dead for thousands of years, and yet he still speaks to us. So when your life is at risk, stop thinking about yourself. Instead, consider one another, how we may exhort one another unto good works. So my life is at risk. The way that I die, I can speak to you for years and years and years to come from the grave. That's the kind of consideration we must have. It's not about me saving my skin. It's about me edifying the body of Christ. And how can we make sure that we all enter the kingdom of God? Verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We've we've just, as Hebrews listening to this sermon, we've just heard how superior a a high priest Christ is. We have a high priest that we can be confident and we can enter into the Holy of Holies with boldness at any time. If we turn our back on this, what relationship can we have with God? None. It is impossible to please God without faith. This is not, this is not a superficial, let's go skipping through the woods and, and, and talk about Hebrews 11. This is a very, very stern warning. It is impossible for us to please God if we do not have faith in Christ. Impossible. Impossible. It means you're wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. We're pretending. And we're under destruction and perdition. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And again, we'll see here as we look at this faith chapter, that faith without works is dead. You don't see here that he's saying, faith, 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 and the people are doing nothing. You know, we saw a movie yesterday on the deathbed. Oh, I believe in Christ. Okay, you're in heaven. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Show me your faith by your works. And that's what we see here. I'll just quickly read um, verse 15 of chapter 4. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The mercy is there for us, brethren. All we have to do is come boldly to the throne. Just just confess our sins. Ask for faith. Ask for wisdom. Christ wants us in his kingdom. We just have to believe in him. Verse 7 Coming through time. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. So this is an example to to the Hebrews. He's saying, look, Noah was warned of something that was about to happen. I've warned you of something that's going to happen. Noah, when he was warned, he moved with fear. You should do the same. heard an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness which is by faith righteousness is by faith right back to Abraham all righteousness is by faith verse 8 by faith it's all you know the whole book is about faith it's faith it's faith it's faith it's faith it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. Understand how great Christ is and have faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. By faith he did that. He had no idea where he was going. had no idea who he was going to. He just believed and he obeyed. Faith with works. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith, Here's the tabernacle's message. He sojourned in the land of promise. This is what he did. He was a sojourner, a a tabernacle dweller, in the land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. Let's, let's look at this in a more modern context. I think everybody's heard of Prince Charles. He's the heir to Queen Elizabeth. They live in Buckingham Palace in England. Try to imagine Prince Charles with his children, and now his grandchildren, on the lawn in Buckingham Palace in a sleeping bag, in a tent. And you go up in your interview and you say, you're the heir. All of this belongs to you. Why are you sleeping in tents? Don't you know it's cold outside? All kinds of luxury and comfort is in the palace. It's yours. Why don't you go in there? Abraham understood that the whole earth is his. He's in the land of promise. God promised it to him and God is faithful. And yet he was tabernacling because he knew the time was not yet. But this is his land and yet he's dwelling in in tents. That's our example, brethren. This earth, it's ours. All the riches of this earth, they're ours. But we're tabernacling. This is the land of promise. You know, I was thinking today, I was talking to Pastor Ramakan earlier. We've been seduced by Satan. We don't understand how valuable the earth is. The covenant is a covenant about land. God loves the earth. And he wants to give the earth to us. He gave the earth to Lucifer, and Lucifer rejected it. Lucifer said, I want heaven. And now we're all running around saying, when I die, I want heaven. That's 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 satanic. We want earth. Why? Because God loves the earth. God is going to come and bring his headquarters on earth because he loves the earth. When Satan rejected the earth and tried to hijack heaven, God came down to earth. And he took the earth in his hand. And he made a model of himself. The earth that Satan rejected, God came down to that same earth and made a model of himself. Can you imagine Satan watching this and thinking, God? Making a model of himself out of the earth? And then he breathes into that model, and the model becomes animated. And it stands up, and it looks just like God, out of the earth. Just imagine the hatred that Satan would have. So uh, somebody asked the question, you know, how long before Satan destroyed Adam and Eve? I think it was the next day. I think they kept the Sabbath together, and Satan destroyed Eve the very next day. No time to waste. And that's why he has the whole Christian community worshiping on Sunday. They're celebrating the fall of man. I, I better step away from the Bible because that's not in the Bible. That's just my thinking. The other thing I'll add, the whole Christian community celebrating the Trinity. Satan was, Lucifer was the highest being. He was part of the government of God. The Father, Christ, and Lucifer would meet without any of the other angels. That was the triad. And now he's telling everybody, worship the Trinity. He's trying to put himself back in the triad. It's not in the text. It's just thinking. (laughs) Sunday, heaven, Trinity, totally satanic. God loves the earth, and he wants to give it to us. And he wants to dwell on the earth with us. And he promised the earth to, to Abraham, And Abraham dwelt in tents, even though he knew it was his. tabernacle. verse 10. For he looked for a city. So even though the earth was his, he was looking for a city. It it wasn't the earth as it is now that he wants. He's looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's why I'm not accepting the earth right now. Not in this shape. I'm looking for a different earth whose maker and builder is God. It's a different configuration. That's what I'm waiting for. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead sprang out of that one that was as good as dead as many of the stars in the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the sea shore innumerable that's faith that's faith this this man was as good as dead God said sacrifice him and we still believe God is God is faithful that promised Verse 13. All of these, they died. You Hebrews are buckling at the knees. You're shaking because persecution is coming on you. You know what? All of these died. All of them. And they died in faith. Not having received the promises. Faith is the evidence. They were promised something. And they counted him faithful. And so they never wavered. And yet they died. And they didn't receive the promise. But having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You got stuff to offer me now? No thanks. No thanks. So what? I have all the riches in the world? and and, and people are having their heads cut off, children are being destroyed. What what happiness is that? I don't want it. I don't want it. We're celebrating tabernacles as the ingathering of all mankind. We want a world where there's no sorrow, there's no tears, there's joy everywhere for everyone. That's what we're waiting for, and we'll tabernacle until we get an earth like that. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, not heaven. We want the earth, but not like it is now. We want a new earth, and, and we'll, just, we'll sacrifice everything for that new earth. This means nothing. Verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country or the earth from where they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So you Hebrews are thinking of turning back. They could have turned back. But they kept their eyes fixed on a new earth. And they never turned back. But now, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly. It's coming down from heaven. Pastor Murray spoke about that this morning. Wherefore, God is not ashamed, to be called their God. He made man out of clay and he's not ashamed to be called our God. Where was I, brethren? Sick, thank you. He's not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. God is all about the earth. And he's prepared a city that's going to be on earth. And it's for us. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So, so he's got these promises through the son, and yet he's ready to kill the son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called, according that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And so so he did bless them both, but Esau did not have faith, so we don't hear anything more about Esau. It's now all about Israel. Verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, speaking of Moses, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 32. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to to tell of Gideon of Barak, of Samson, and Jephthah, and David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. In other words, I could talk about this all day long, and all night long, because there are so many examples. You're not unique. So what? You're going to suffer. It's not new. It's the history of the people of God. The only difference is, do you have vision? Because they did. And by faith, they were able to do these things. Very quickly, let's just uh, hold your place in Hebrews 11, but let's just quickly look at 1 uh, Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 33. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're nothing but a kid. And he's a man of war from the time he was a kid. And David said to Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, we said make the big decisions early. David was a shepherd. And he made the decision, not one of my sheep will be lost. That's the decision that he made. So when a lion comes to attack the sheep, he doesn't have to say, oh no, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? He's already made the decision, not one of my sheep will be lost. So when a lion comes to destroy the sheep, that's just a minor detail. We'll deal with it. That, we, we have to make these big decisions early. If you're you're wavering on the Feast of Tabernacles, you, you don't know if you can keep the feast. How will you stand up to persecution? Faith is something that has to be built with small decisions, then bigger decisions, then when the really big decision comes, it's a detail. The big decision was already made, and it was exercised with smaller decisions along the way. David made the big decision early. Not one of my sheep will be lost. Verse 36. Sorry, verse 35. I went out after him and I smote him and I took back my sheep out of his mouth. How dare he take one of my sheep? A coward would say, Oh, well, it's a lion. What do you want me to do? David says, Not one of my sheep will be lost. I took the sheep out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, he was angry now, that's his dinner. And now he wants to kill me. I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. Are you kidding me? You're gonna mess with my sheep? That's David. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this this uncircumcised giant Philistine, he's gonna be as one of them. Why? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Look, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. Not one of my sheep will be lost. I understand God. He's a shepherd. Not one of his sheep will be lost. He's a great king. How can this giant come and defy the living God? The same anger that I had over that lion, God has over this Philistine. I'm good. Let me take care of him. Because I have faith in God. Verse 37. David said, moreover, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Verse 34. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others. So, So all of this positive stuff happened. How? Exercising faith. Believing God. Is it all roses? Is it all hugs and kisses? Mm, No. Let's continue. And others were tortured. This is the Christian life. This is the walk of the faithful. Some were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. All you have to do is say Muhammad is the last prophet. And Allah, there's no God but Allah. That's all you have to do. Just simple words out of your mouth. And we won't torture you. They didn't accept deliverance. No way are they going to turn their back on Christ. That they might obtain a better resurrection. They had a hope. They had a vision. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. And, and Pastor Murray spoke about the evil Manasseh, King Manasseh. Apparently, he's the one that's the, that cut Isaiah in two. And they say Isaiah uttered not a word. He just was steadfast as he was cut in half by his own king. You know, some of our worst enemies will come from within the community. It's just the way it works. They were cut in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, they didn't receive the promises. There's something going on here where they're judging God to be faithful. And they're making their decisions based on the fact that they serve a faithful God. And yet they didn't receive the promises. So, I mean, you could kind of conclude, well, maybe God isn't faithful. Because we went through all of this and we didn't receive the promises. And yet they judge him faithful. There's something happening here that we have to understand. Verse 40. Here it is. God having provided something better or some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. They're tabernacling. They're dwelling in tents. They're saying they don't want this earth the way it is. And they cannot receive the new city without us. And are we going to turn our back Are we going to cut and... They're waiting for us. They realize they cannot have the promise. They die in faith knowing it's not over yet. There are more saints to come in and they're waiting for us. And they cannot receive the new city. They cannot receive the renewed earth without us. Are we going to cut and run? Or are we going to be faithful? Realizing that There's a whole community that is going to receive the new city at once. Come with me, brethren, to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 and verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Have you heard this? Has anybody heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in a single day, in a single moment? Or shall a nation be born at once? A whole community, a whole nation is going to be born at once. Have you heard such a thing? Those that died in faith, they've heard of it. They understood that they cannot receive the promises without us. And the whole nation is born together. They fought for a better resurrection. They knew that I'm dying now, but I'm coming up with the saints. That's you. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says God? In other words, this is going to happen. A whole nation is going to be born at once. Rejoice you with Jerusalem, the new city, and be glad with her. All you that love her, rejoice for the joy with her. All you that mourn for her. They cannot receive... They're in the grave waiting. They cannot receive the promises without us. You know, when Joseph was dying, he, was, he understood how faithful God was. He says, we're in Egypt now. God is going to take you into the promised land. Take my bones with you. Because I'm going to be part of that resurrection and I want to come up with the saints. We're going to be born at once. Let's go back to Hebrews and conclude. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 remember there's no chapter breaks here it's all one sermon all one message therefore seeing we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses they've all done it they've all died in faith they've all judged that God is faithful they've all had a vision of the promise they all knew that the earth is going to be renewed Jerusalem will be born at once and they fought for that resurrection. Because of their example, there's so many of them, T- the time failed I could keep you here all night recounting all the faithfulness in the Bible. Because of this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Make the big decision now. Make the big decision now. Nothing's going to stop us. Nothing's going to prevent us. We have a faithful high priest. We're going right into the Holy of Holies with boldness. We believe. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. It's not going to be a bed of roses. You're not always going to be sitting in comfortable seats. You're not always going to be in climate controlled temperature. Everybody's not going to love you. When you say, I'm a Christian, people are not going to say, that's wonderful. There's going to be some rough spots. What we have coming to us is so great, let's just endure it. I think the the British would say, suck it up. Suck it up, buttercup. You know, it's a small price to pay for what's ahead for us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's a race that's set before you. There's a race that's set before me. It's going to unfold tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that and the year after that. It's unfolding now. And it has been set before us. We're being tested. Let's just run it with patience. Looking unto Jesus. He's our high priest. He is superior to everything we have ever known. Let's look at him. The author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews is all about our faith. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We have to look to Jesus and be like him. There was a joy set before him. And because of that joy, he had faith and he ran his race and endured the cross. That joy is what we're celebrating now. The Feast of Tabernacles. What a joy when the whole world knows God. When the whole world, there's no more sorrow, there's no more tears. Everyone understands what it is to love. Everyone understands what it is to have eternal life. And they're striving for that. What a joy. We have to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And we need to be willing to do that. Despising the shame. And what a a shame it was. Romans couldn't even say the word crucifixion. It was such a shameful way to die that those words should not come out of the lips of a Roman citizen. And we're talking about God. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This word, looking to Jesus, it's a Greek word, analogizomai. And you hear the English word, analogy. Jesus Christ should be our analogy. You should look at Christ, look at our life, and see it's analogous. That's what we should be doing. Let's, let's conclude now, and then we can have some Q&A in Revelation 21. Sorry, I, sorry the verse t- 3 of chapter 12. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Is that word consider. That is an analogizamai. Revelation 21. And verse one. This is the joy that is set before us. This takes Amen. us through all the holy days. And this is the plan. This, this is the joy that Christ endured the cross for, and which we will endure anything for. It doesn't matter. Do your worst. Do your worst. I'd much rather face whatever you have than face the wrath of God, because our God is a consuming fire. But he has a great reward. So so I can either have this phenomenal reward with God, or I can face him as a consuming fire. Whatever you're going to throw at me, I'm just going to laugh at you. I hope I can be like Stephen. When they stoned him to death, he said, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do, but I I see the joy that is set before me. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the earth that we want. It's all about the earth. It's all about real estate. The covenant is about the earth. We love the earth. God loves the earth. We want the earth. But we want a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, They were looking for a city. This is the city they were looking for, the New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And it's on the earth. It's on the earth. It's on the earth. The earth matters. The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them on the earth and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And this is the earth we want, brethren. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is what Hebrews is all about. God is faithful. We believe God. These words are true. There's a new heaven. There's a new Jerusalem. That new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. It's going to be on earth. There's going to be a city on earth called the New Jerusalem. A nation will be born at once. It will inhabit that city. The saints waited for this. Abraham dwelt in tents with his sons, even though they had the promise of the earth, because they judged him faithful. These words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You Hebrews who are thinking of turning your back on Christ. Verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving. Without faith it is impossible to please him. If you don't have faith in the high priest of Jesus Christ, his his priesthood, the Melchizedekian order, if you don't believe in that priesthood, it is impossible to please him. You cannot be a part of this new Jerusalem. I cannot be a part of the new Jerusalem. We must believe he is faithful. That's what the Bible is all about, how faithful he is. To the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, And idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Our God is not a coffee cup. He's not for convenience. He's not a cosmic Santa Claus. Name it and claim it. Push a button and he'll answer our prayers and he'll do whatever we say when we snap our fingers. Our God is a consuming fire. He has a vision for this earth. A new city and a vision for us in that new city, administering joy and love over this whole earth. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Is there any obstacle that we will allow to interfere with our attainment of this new city, with the saints who are waiting for us? They understood that a nation will be born at once, and that they cannot have the new city without us. Are we going to turn our back on such a faithful high So brethren, that's what I wanted to do in this Feast of Tabernacles, is is bring to us the very sober and grave message of Hebrews 11. And I hope that whenever we think of the faith chapter, we'll understand that it it doesn't stand by itself in a vacuum. It's part of an entire message, which is both a warning and an encouragement. And we are encouraged by this cloud of witnesses and everything they went through, and especially what Christ did. And we will be faithful. So, brethren, let's talk. What did you hear? Uh, what What are your thoughts? Your Your observations? So yes. Thank you. Feedback. Well, I enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: Yes. How, how do we
0: reconcile that? Yes. Excellent question. So, how do we reconcile that? We reconcile that through the community of faith. I absolutely, I'm a complete failure by myself. But in a community where we exhort one another, we encourage one another, we support one another, this is how we make sure that we all cross the finish line together. So, yes, uh, we have, to, we, there's no such thing as an independent Christian. We need to support one another and help each other. Very good.
2: You take that side. I'll take this side. (laughs) Thank
3: you, Pastor. Uh, The only thing that confused me, and I was so well done, but the part that confused me was you referenced Isaiah 6,
0: Yeah, uh, we want to talk about duality of um, let uh yes the properties of the scripture um are so arranged that they have uh that they have
2: I have a uh, question. By the way, uh, I uh, appreciate your insight into the scriptures. Praise it always God. makes me think. Uh, in Hebrews ten, where uh, Hebrews ten twenty six it says, "Where well, if we sin, if we sin will, willfully after we." have received the knowledge of the truth, and there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then if you uh, fast forward to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 39, he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. It's almost It sounds to me like a contradiction.
0: So verse 26, if we sin willfully after we've received knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. And then he says in verse 37, did you say? which? 36?
2: 39.
0: 39. We're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them who believe to the saving of the soul. Yeah. So it, it's not a contradiction. He's speaking to a congregation that is faltering. And there's another place where he says, and I believe it's in the same chapter, I just don't see it right now, where he says, but we, we have um, confidence in you, we, even, though, even though we speak this way. In fact, let me just find the passage. can think of it right now, but there's a passage in Hebrews, I'm sure it's in Hebrews 10, maybe it's in 12, where he says, uh, even though we speak this way, and we're warning that you're, you're going to perish, even though we speak this way, we have confidence concerning you, and con- confidence concerning the things of salvation.
4: Verse so, 35, try verse 35. Verse 35, and that's
0: Hebrews 10. That's not it. Um, Look in Hebrews 12 for me. Maybe it's in 12. But it's just where he says that um, they have labored for the saints. And that's why he has more confidence that that they're going to pull through. Uh, So I know this is coming from a once saved, always saved perspective, which I'm going to tell you is an evil doctrine. And I'm going to warn you, do not embrace this doctrine. It is an evil doctrine. And you can see it does not line up with Hebrews. And the once saved, always saved camp, they stumble all over Hebrews. And the way that they get around it is this. They say that the apostle is speaking to an audience that is partially made of true believers and partially made of unbelievers. And when he is encouraging, he's talking to the true believers. And when he's telling them they're going to perish, he's talking to the unbelievers. This is Greek philosophy. This is Aristotle. Aristotle taught that God is the unmoved mover. What that means is, God is so other, this is Greek philosophy, he is so spiritual, he is so perfect, that he cannot change. That if God changes, it means whatever he was before he changed, he wasn't perfect. Therefore, the Greeks reasoned, God is unchangeable. So they call him the unmoved mover, which means he moves, he acts, but in no way does he change. And when they brought that philosophy into Christianity, what it means is he determines ahead of time who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. And it doesn't matter what you do. You could be, you, if, you're, if I'm, I'm destined to go to hell. I, I'm, if I'm destined to go to hell, I can cry all night, every night, for the rest of my life. It's not going to move him. He's the unmoved mover. There is no appeal that I can make. If you're going to heaven, he's the unmoved mover. You can sin all you want. In fact, I just heard of a pastor yesterday. He has infected women in his congregation with AIDS. I mean, think of that. This is the fruit of once saved, always saved. Because he's the unmoved mover. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're destined for heaven... Have a blast. Because when you die, you're going to heaven. Because there's nothing you can do that will change God's mind. This is not the God of Israel. The God of Israel is a person. We can appeal to him. And he can change his mind. And so this doctrine of once saved, always saved, it's Greek philosophy. And when you try to line it up with the Bible, it doesn't fit. Particularly Hebrews. Because this is true religion. This is a Hebrew talking to Hebrews. We're the true community here. The Gentiles can come in after, but this is true religion. And Greek philosophy doesn't belong here. It doesn't fit. So so he's warning them, but then he says, you know what? I'm confident you're going to pull through. I've, I've got to find the passage. But he says to them, you faced persecution already. You had your goods confiscated. Some of you were tortured. And you pulled through. You've got to do it again don't don't lose your confidence now, and I see you serving the saints and loving the saints. I'm confident you're going to pull through so so he's encouraging them, but he's warning them we're, 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 a, we're' the just will live by faith. we're of the just. Let's do this. Come on, folks, let's do this. This is so important. Don't fall back.
2: Uh, okay, but I, I just heard you say when you were up there that you're not going to walk towards the fires of hell. You're going to walk towards God.
0: I don't recall saying that. Uh, But we have many witnesses.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's that's what you said. But I
0: think what we want to say here is we want to make the big decisions early. So we're just going to make this decision right now, right here, right now. You know what? I'm going to be a part of this new Jerusalem. My life doesn't matter. If all I have is my life, this is vanity. This means nothing. What I want is for all of us to be in God's kingdom with the saints of old, transforming the whole earth so that there's no more pain and no more sorrow. That's what I want. And if I can't have that, I don't want anything else. I don't want this life just for me. What, so I can have a nice fireplace and nice music playing, and meanwhile kids are starving to death?
2: I don't want it. Well, doesn't the true believer, the true believer, once he's uh, received God's Holy Spirit and the Spirit is working in him, does not that true believer want to keep God's law, want to do the will of God, and because the Spirit is in him, does not want, does not even want to go against God, okay, we stumble, we still sin. But God chastises us for it. And we know we've gone through trials. We sin. We get chastised. We come to ourselves. And we move forward as we endure.
0: Yes, all of that is true. But we are human. And we are weak. And we are flesh. And Satan is powerful. And that's why we need the community. We need the community. You know, They did an experiment. It had to be called off. It was in Germany. They went and they asked for volunteers to participate in this experiment. And one of the criteria to participate, I'm getting a bit of feedback, one of the criteria to participate is you had to be tested psychologically and show that you are completely healthy psychologically. And as long as you were healthy, you could participate in the experiment. The experiment was that 24 people would be brought in. 12 of them would become prison guards. And 12 would become prisoners. And you had to sign waivers and everything and say, yes, you agreed to this experiment. It was at random. So they just randomized it, and you're a prison guard, I'm a prisoner, whatever. So that you're told wh- who you are, and then you go home. And the experiment would start the next day. So they gather the prison guards, and they bring them in, take them in training, give them uniforms, and, and explain to them, your objective is to keep order. Then they went and got the prisoners in police cars. Knocked on the door, and they weren't kidding. They came and they arrested the they prisoner would come and they would arrest you, embarrass you in front of all your neighbors. They weren't kidding around. This was a real arrest. And they took you and they brought you to prison. The experiment that the the prison guards were told, you have to keep order no matter what. And what happened over the course of the experiment was the prison guards became vicious. They, they became so uh, uh, sadistic in the treatment of the prisoners. The prisoners lost their identity. I'm no longer Adrian Davis, a husband of Jennifer Davis, father of Ryan and Rachel. I'm 46329. And whenever they talk to me, they call me 46239. I've lost my identity. I'm stripped naked. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm treated like cattle. They found that the, even though these were healthy, psychologically healthy people, over the period of a few days, they completely broke down and deteriorated. And they became like animals. And the prison guards became like animals. The the, um, experimenter, Philip Zimbardo, he was so fascinated by this that he was running the experiment, running the experiment. It became dangerous. His assistant forced him to stop. And he kept saying, he can't stop now. An experiment like this has never been done before. And, And she forced him to stop. And finally he realized she's right someone was about to lose their life. The prison guards became so vicious they were going to kill the prisoners. And they finally had to stop the experiment. To this day, the people that participated in that experiment are psychologically damaged. That there's now a law passed that no experiment of this nature can ever be done again. I say this to say this. We are who we are because of the environments that we exist in. I appear to have a stable personality because I have a stable environment. Take me out of this environment and put me in another one, and you'll see a different Adrian. That's why the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Build a community of faithful brethren and and, and stick in that community. Because we shape our community, and then our community shapes us. So Pastor Murray spoke this morning so much about building safe communities of believers so that when new believers come in, they come into a safe environment. We cannot have environments where we're bickering and gossiping and tearing each other apart. This will destroy us. That's why the scripture says if you bite and devour each other, take heed, lest you be consumed of each other. This this is not fatalistic. Free will is the the sacred essence of being human. God wants people who want him. And he he will never override our free will. You have a free will. It's sacred. That's why these churches, and let me name names, like the Philadelphia Church of God, who have a man take away the free will of the people and say, you will do this. That is so ungodly. Because God never takes away our free will. And depending on the environment that you're in, again, the gentleman said, Brother Rick said, take heed. Let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You make sure that you embed yourself in a community of believers, so that you're you're edifying them, and they're edifying you. And the body is edifying itself in love until we reach the maturity of Christ. We need that environment. If we come out of that environment, take heed.
2: But getting out of that environment... uh, Like you said before, we should be able to uh, not deny Christ no matter what environment we end up in. If we get uh, taken away, if two or three of us are taken away and we're in an environment where they say to us, you have to deny Christ or you're going to die, we have to say we are not going to deny Christ.
0: Right, but the seed needs soil and it needs time. I can plant a seed today, and you can pull it up tomorrow. I can plant a seed today, but give me 10 years, and then try and pull it up. Embed yourself in a community, and you need time. I've been in this community now for three decades. I I think there's a certain stability that I've developed over three decades. Three days into the faith, I didn't have the same stability. So, So it takes time. Learning, yes, developing. But even today, I'm not safe. I can't take this for granted. That's why I need the community. That's why I need to be encouraged. We can discourage each other. You'd be surprised how brethren can discourage the ministry. And how the ministry can discourage brethren. We can't do this. You know, God is watching. We we need to be careful. Brother, what I would say is, I know you have a certain perspective. What I'm going to say to you is it does not reconcile with the book of Hebrews.
2: Uh, I just keep thinking of when I went under the waters of baptism, my old self died uh, symbolically, spiritually died. And I'm not the same person I was. Hallelujah. And I'm moving in Hallelujah. the other direction. I'm not going to stop and moving when we, su- we, we support you. And I appreciate the support, and uh, I believe in the support of community yes. very much. Uh, and I'm not going the other way anymore. Brilliant. I never will. Brilliant. I'm going towards and God. That's
0: what we say make the big decision early, but yeah. realize there's no such thing as an independent Christian. We need each other. That's so I see a couple of absolutely. questions here.
2: Uh,
4: This fellow here, too.
0: Okay, so one here, then Jennifer, and then Brother Larry.
4: Uh, God said, uh, I desire that none be lost. Yes. I desire. He doesn't say, well, I'll be saved and the none will be lost. He says, this shows his mercy. Correct. I desire none be lost. So he's open to negotiations. He's open to uh, pleading. He's open to repentance. Very good. The the
0: exact opposite of the unmoved mover. Yes, right, yes. Excellent, very good. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he does. But the one thing is God will go looking for the lost sheep, but the lost sheep has free will. And it's impossible. If that lost sheep rejects the sacrifice of Christ, there's. There's nothing God can do, because that's the only sacrifice in the tabernacle in heaven. That's the only sacrifice with which Christ can approach God on our behalf. If we reject that sacrifice, it's like the high priest on earth. He could not go into the Holy of Holies without blood. Christ cannot appear before God without his blood. If we reject that blood, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. So yes, God will go after the sheep, but the sheep has free will. And if it rejects the blood of Christ, there's nothing.
5: Pastor Davis, I think the scripture you were looking for previously is um, Hebrews 3.6. Could it be that?
4: Hebrews 3.6 is what she thinks. No,
0: no, no. It's... Th- I'll f- I'll find it. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: um
0: 12 It's 12. Yes. 125. 12 there we go. I know it was in it's it in 10 or 12. Hebrews 12. Sorry, brother Larry. Just give me a okay. second here. Um 125. I'll find it. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm gonna, this is bothering me now. I'm going to find this. Yes. Okay. Someone say a prayer for me and we'll find this. Um. Go, yes, go ahead, Brother Larry.
6: Okay. Uh, in light of what we were discussing about falling away and so forth, as one who, who has come through the, uh, the falling away of, of worldwide, Yes, I'm. I'm wondering about the the people who fell away. Some of them were were in the faith for decades and baptized, and and yet they fell away. Um, yes, does does 10:26 uh, say that there there is no more hope for them?
0: Does 10:26 say there is no hope for them? It says uh, Hebrews six says you know, if they have done these things, they've tasted of the heavenly gift, they've participated in the Holy Spirit, they've been enlightened, they've tasted of the powers of the world to come. The the word chi in Greek, we translate it and, it's a cumulative and. It's it's add this on top of that and add this on top of that. And then the translators use the word if. But it's the same word chi. So it's still another cumulative and. So if done all of these things, and they have turned away. And that is in what's called the aorist tense in Greek, which is like our past tense, with the difference that it's something that began to happen in the past and continues to happen into the present. So if they have rejected God, and they continue to do so, it's impossible to renew them. So as long as they stay in that state of rejection, they cannot be renewed. If tomorrow they wake up, and repent, then there's hope for them. Mm-hmm. But as long as they stay in that state of rejection, mm-hmm. there's no
6: hope. Because I'm, I'm thinking that some of them, even though they, they worshipped with us for decades, may not have had God's Holy Spirit. I'm trying to differentiate between what happened to them and where they were and, and why we are here today and they're not.
0: I, I don't know, Pastor, if you have a comment.
7: You know, some that were sown on, you know, fertile soil, some that was on sandy ground, and so on. And, uh, you know, he speaks about it in the sense that some of the believers would not have, a, you know, caught root. Um, some of the persons who came into the church. Now, that would mean that, you know, there's some persons who, just what uh, Pastor Davis is saying, that you know they have not grown they have not uh, developed and you know it's something we need to talk about very much there are some persons who they tend more to depend solely upon their pastors for you know their salvation so to speak and you know it, it is more than person that they're following than they're taking hold personally of of the, the word and and imbibing the word and growing thereby and you run a risk, you know, when you do that. So y- it's, a, it's, it's really another discussion that we need to have as to how to live as a Christian and how to grow as a Christian. We can be in the church and we are not growing. Also, another point that would, would uh, be relevant to what you're saying is that the Bible does speak about the, the, the body, the, the, you know, the, 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 the church as being having um, both wheat and tears, mm-hmm. so that in the church not everybody is wheat and sometimes there is a sifting you know and you the wheat is separate from the tears Well, jesus did say to his disciples no do not remove them lest by removing the tears you destroy the wheat but um god himself at times does that sifting and uh, you know it, it becomes obvious so while we don't want to be um, very dogmatic about it, we need to understand that there are different levels of persons in the church, and that is why, you know, the mantra should be, you should be growing. Just what Pastor David said, uh, uh, said earlier, you know, that you, you, we, we can't be at the same place all the time. We just need to be growing, and that body, the community, is what really helps us. Iron sharpens iron, and so we need to be working together in that respect.
0: Very good.
4: Walking against Uriah, and then killing Uriah, and then he needed Nathan, and here's where the community comes in. He needed Nathan to give him a, give him a shake, because he was so lost, he couldn't see. That's way different than the stumbling. That's part of the reason why we need the community. And I think there's, those are two types of sin. Um, um, the one we know about ourselves, the dangerous one is when we can't see. And that's why we need the community.
0: And, and I'll just add to that, um, within the context of Hebrews, there is no sterner warning in the Bible than in the book of Hebrews. And we are keeping the Feast of Tabernacles to learn to fear God. And if we have this attitude that, hey, I'm cool, nothing can happen to me. We can break the Sabbath, we don't keep the feast, we do whatever we like because, hey, once saved, always saved. And we become immune to the stern warning in the scripture. It's good to fear God. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It's good to say, you know what, I'm kind of tempted to do this thing, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to go close to it fear God. This is a good thing. So we, we have to receive the warning that's in Hebrews with the gravity that the author wrote it with.
2: I agree. We should have a healthy fear of God. Uh, we don't want to fall into the hands of uh, a living God. And we should have a healthy fear of God and uh, move forward and never look back.
0: So George and then um, Annette.
2: The battery's getting low, so get close.
0: Yeah.
8: A man, the man let him down, let yes. him down, yes. okay, Christ. Nothing against Garner Ted. I hope he's where he should be, and I think he is. He probably repented. He had a weakness, women. Okay. We all have weaknesses. He got caught. He was in the top position. So will
0: never let you down. The, the, exactly okay. right. The, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, this city that we are waiting for, that the saints are waiting for, the saints that preceded us and we are waiting for, they cannot have it without us. It is so grand. Do you think that we can just put our feet up and just say, hurry up, God, I'm, I'm waiting. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a company called Zappos. I don't know if you've heard of Zappos Shoes. They sell shoes online. If we wanted to work for them, they have a rigorous screening process to see whether or not we can work for them to sell shoes. If we pass the screening process, the next step is three weeks of training to sell shoes. After the first week, they train you full time all day for a week. After that week, they offer you $1,000 to quit. If you take it, they're happy. See you later. That's a check they're happy to write. Then they train you for another two weeks. And at the end of that two weeks, they offer you a check for $2,000 to quit. They only want people working for them who get it, who believe in their vision, who will live their vision. If If they hire you and you operate against their values, you're fired. They don't mess around. But they don't have to fire many people because they make it lucrative to leave. And while they're training you, they're looking and seeing, do you have our values to sell shoes? To sell shoes. Do do you think that to have the new Jerusalem, it's going to be less rigorous than selling shoes? We're going to be tested along the way. Are we going to be like Esau? And say, oh, a bowl of soup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've got to make the big decision early. Uh, I think, no, Annetta and then Wilson. Okay. Sister Annette.
9: In the Bible, it refers to when, when the Bible refers to sheep in wolf clothing, what does that mean? Sheep in wolf
0: clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing.
4: Wolves in sheep's clothing, yes, right. I think you do have some sheep in wolves' clothing, too. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Again, you spoke of the wheat and the tares. Uh, Do you want to comment on that, Pastor? What does it mean, wolves in sheep's clothing? And then uh, Wilson has it.
7: are a number of persons, and, and Christ describes them, you know, that Saint, uh, Satan, uh, you know, he, he actually appears as an angel of light, and his ministers too appear as an angel of light. So what it means is that they appear as though they belong to God. They appear as though they are representing Christ. And a lot of what they say, it sounds very good. You can very much say, this is a good person. This person is speaking the truth, and so on. But it really is a counterfeit. Uh, you know, brand that you're looking at. And therefore, we need to test the spirits to see whether they're of God. We need to be able, and the only way to test it is with the Word of God. We can't just use our own experience or judgment or feelings. It has to be the Word of God. Is this person speaking in accordance with the Word of God? Is this person keeping the commandments of God? You have to look at all these things in order to determine. Otherwise, you may be mistaking, uh, you know, a wolf before sheep.
0: And, and one of the things you can do, so in, ad- in addition to false doctrine, uh, this young man, landed in our youth study, we asked the question, what is the difference between sheep and wolves? And he said, wolves have sharp things. Teeth, claws, they tear. Kay? So when you see brethren together, the true believers, they don't harm. They love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The false brethren, they will draw blood. You'll see they will strike out and they will do things that hurt people. You know them by their fruit. fruit. Yes. Brother Wilson.
2: Pastor Davis, I really thank you for the um, the (coughs) teaching.
10: Okay. I'm I'm not uh, really comfortable with mics. Um. Uh, my question, I just want
2: to ask one question. Because um, I hear a lot of things around this one little word faith. And faith means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, even though we are of the same house. Mm-hmm.
0: And we look at the word, mm-hmm. and then we, we are confused because, in your eyes and in my eyes, faith means something to me that it does not mean to you. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask this question to you based on the scriptures. What is faith? Wow. Um, Piercing question. Very, very good. Because this is the fundamental issue. So the the word faith, um, first of all, it's the Greek word pistis. And and this is, again, something for the Messianics to consider. Um, Hebrews is a letter from a Hebrew apostle to the Hebrew believers. And it's written in the finest Greek in the entire New Testament. And every reference to the Old Testament is to the Septuagint. So Hebrew language has nothing to do with the book of Hebrews. So I think some people think you know, Hebrew language is this sacred, magical language, and God speaks Hebrew. That is nonsense. Hebrew comes after the Tower of Babel. It's just a language. It's the language that the people spoke. God is very practical, and he uses the language that the people speak. And then when the people are speaking Greek, he uses Greek. And when Aramaic when is the language of the day, he uses that. And if he was to give us Revelation today, because English is the the language, he would use that. God is very practical. Now, the faith is the word pistis. And the definition is confidence in the truthfulness of God. It means we read the word of God and if God says it, we believe it. That's faith. Faith is not name it and claim it. Faith is not... I believe I'm going to win the lottery. I'm naming it, and I'm claiming it, and I believe. That's nonsense. Faith is, I read the word, and it says, Adrian, you may have to suffer. And you may have to endure great tribulation to get into the kingdom. I believe. Because he's faithful, that promised. So faith is confidence in the truthfulness of God.
2: Thank you. So based on that, in simple terms, faith or belief
0: is just, you see, from our standpoint, is just to accept what the Word says, Correct. what God says. Correct. And by us accepting Correct. it and applying it to ourselves, that becomes our Correct. faith. And as we read the entire Scripture, one thing we can conclude is this God we serve is faithful. He is faithful. Man, on the other hand, that's something else. But God is faithful. And so we believe Him.
2: Thank you. you.
0: Brother Louis.
8: Mm, So, if we're going to depend on a community for our sustenance, then how can we break
2: into this culture we have that is not community? um, uh, uh, I mean,
8: it's not pro-community. So, that's my question.
0: I think this is a stump the pastor. (laughs) So, (laughs) Uh, this is a profound question and I I don't have a good answer I think that we are very selfish very individualistic people and that's how we're wired and and we are very different from the saints of old time they understood community they ate together, they broke bread, they prayed together, they they could depend on each other, they were in each other's homes, they lived very close together that's community Um, I, I, I don't know I they
2: were they were persecuted as well. Yeah, huh? we haven't been. Yeah, passed.
0: that's right. So persecution yeah. brings you closer Perseution together. Persecution
2: well. can bring us together more than anything. Yeah.
0: Um, so I don't know, Pastor Murray. We, we we are trying in Burlington to do this. Um, I don't know if you have a thought. And then – So, so I, I feel embarrassed that I don't have a good answer. But the question you ask, we have to keep asking this question, and we cannot shy away from it. We have to figure it
1: out. Uh, um, um, well, I would believe uh, – Sorry, w-
0: just one second. Just let um, Teresa comment, and then and – then <laughs> <just wait. laughs> It's not a priority. Okay. So, so part of the answer is to make the community a priority. I agree. So let's have uh, brother Rick and then sister Jennifer. Um,
1: brother Rick. I don't know in the glasses well, uh, I agree with uh, your comment. Like our society today, we're more we're more isolated, and it was easier that you know we didn't have the TV. Uh, where the communities were closer together, by they just lived together. Now it's a lot harder for us to be. Um, Closer because society is more uh, like the Bible says, you know, there are uh, mentions about that. Uh, you build house to house, they live alone in their buildings. We've got the TVs, the internet, and it just is naturally like you brought out the culture is destroying that. This world is going in that direction, so it's a lot harder. Uh, I remember uh, Mr. McCarroll saying it's a lot harder today to be a Christian than it was biblical times. We've got so much more against us. And I think, like, you hit the nail on the head yes. because the culture just yes. makes us more separated.
6: And,
0: and I think as well, um, you on opening night, you said, you know, seize the feast, make this an extraordinary feast, be different people. So we do have an opportunity during the feast to actually experience community, right? And then coming out of that to then make it a priority when we go back. I don't
4: think we should underestimate what Teresa said about Make it a
0: priority. It's too easy.
4: In line with what Brother Rick said, it's too easy. Yes, that's right.
0: Um, so, uh, Sister Jennifer, Sister Lisa, and then Sister Rose.
5: I don't think that uh, persecution will bring us together because we need to build community now in the safe, good times. Because when things are hard, who will we know to right. call and rely so, on? So, if we're not close late, yes. and
0: persecution comes, too we late, all separate. Too late. But if there is a community and there's persecution, then we pull closer together.
5: I I think that it will be (coughs) that when the brother is is, uh, –
0: Brother betrays brother. Betraying brother. Yes, Matthew 24. People are
5: not part of the community at that time.
0: (laughs) I think the prophecy is against us. Matthew 24 says that brother will betray brother. And the love of many will wax cold. So we we have to make this a priority. Um, Sister Lisa and then Sister Rose.
5: That families that eat together mm. share more together. So, um, adding community meals to our services, tarrying longer over food, making sure that when you reserve your hall for the Sabbath that you have it for many hours, so that you can take time together. Very good. Socialize, and I've I've heard some people say, you know, "Oh, at services we should we should only discuss the Bible. It should only be about the Bible." But I think there's value in talking about other personal
0: mm-hmm. things among members because. Times up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but that's a really good point. Um, in Burlington, we just found the brethren would bring real con- contributions to the potluck meals. And and we're carnal people, so, you know, lovely meal, you know, we sit and, and we feel good and we're talking with each other and we spend more time with each other. And so there really is something sacred about eating together. And I'm really <laughs> glad you, you
5: Rushing here, yes. and there, and everywhere. Yes. No, it don't happen yes. like that. We stay at church. We
0: need to dwell yes. together. Yes.
5: yes. And our minister talked to every single person. Yes. Very good. He moved from church, church to chair, to church. To speak to everyone. Very
0: good. Very good. Uh, Sister Rose.
9: I think that the problem we do have is love. Yes. Period. Yes. Where even if someone invites people to their house, to make sure they invite the people that they they love, and I mean, who's so their friends? So kind of cliquey.
1: Yes. yes,
9: and the ones who smell good and yeah. beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and all like that.
11: Yeah. But I tell
9: you, God said we should comfort each other, love each other until He comes. Very now, good. if among us we have old people. There were some that, you know, may be a little bit retarded. We know that. And whatever, whatever, you include everyone Everybody. because. But if we are just going to say, oh, these are my friends. Mm-hmm. I know them from mm-hmm. worldwide. <laughs> Therefore, you only come to my house. You are just coming to the church, so you're not welcome. Very good. And then some people will say, oh, if that person is coming, I'm not going. Yeah. Listen, we have a yeah. big problem, which is we do not love.
0: Yeah, very good. Brother, um, how's everybody doing? Are we are we okay? because Yeah. yeah. I don't want to keep you longer, but I see a lot of hands up.
4: They're, keep, they're keeping yeah. us longer. We're not keeping yeah, them. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, Brother Paul, and then Sister June, uh, and then Pauline, and then Frank. Uh, so go ahead.
7: So, how do you grow in faith? What's, what's the Can we key? have uh,
0: Sister June next, Ray? Sorry. So how,
4: how do you grow in faith? What's the key to growing in faith?
0: Uh, so, what's the key to growing in faith? Uh, so, first of all, we need to define faith. Faith is believing God's word. So, so the key is, is make sacrifice, small decisions. You know, build um, David before he ran at Goliath, and he ran at Goliath. He went after him. He started with a lion, and he doesn't say what he started with before that. Maybe it was a maybe it was a praying mantis. You know, and he kind of worked his way up to lions. Uh, but but you have to exercise faith. So if, for example, I'm going to say this, I hope I don't upset anybody. But if you can't keep the Feast of Tabernacles for eight days, how are you going to stand up to persecution? We've got to make these decisions. We we can't waffle. We just have to say, God's word says it, I'm doing it, period. Come what may. And then we see God's miraculous hand work, and we say, wow, okay, I understand. I'm in relationship. I see how this works. So when a bigger decision comes, we have confidence, because we've already had it and experienced. But if we never, never have the experience of God working with our with our faith, then when we have to make the big decision, we're afraid. Good question. Uh, Sister June, and then um, Pauline, then Frank, and then Larry. Uh, June is next. Sister June.
12: Okay. I wanted to uh, kind of emphasize a little bit about trust and faith because it says that Eventually, it's going to come a point when uh, you're not going to be able to, with, let me go this route. Okay, back in the w- days of Worldwide, we had uh, a guy that gave a sermon and was dealing with counterfeit, how you're going to know the real from, mm. the, from the phony. Okay. So the bottom line was you have to know the real. And he was saying mm. that the feds, they had a way of studying the real mm. money. Wow. So when the phony money showed up you know, so you don't look at all this phony stuff, but you look at the real. So we have to focus on our Father's Word wow. and know that because when when the other stuff comes up, exactly. it's like you know, uh uh-uh, that yeah, does that not fit. M- right. But very you have good. to be aware, very and it's going to come a time when it's not. A lot of folks just won't know.
0: So so counterfeiters fool the untrained eye. Very
4: good, very good. You know uh, what? C- if I can jump in just yes. for a second. And our studies in Burlington on the You've Been Lied To series um, that you've, you've done, Pastor Ramikhan's done, Pastor Watson's done, one thing that we've learned is that we learn the doctrines so that when we come across a verse, here's a, and just this I think this has bearing on what you say, when we come across a verse that somebody might be able to use against it, we're not there to prove that verse is right or wrong. We know the doctrine, so that when we come across that verse, we know it can't mean what they're saying. We might not know what it means. We might not be able to understand what it means. But it doesn't mean the the falsehood because we've proved the entire doctrine. And and so we don't need to get into a a verse-by-verse debate uh, where we toss verses at each other. We learn the truth front to back and so that we're not blown away by a verse that we might not be able to understand. I think there's some bearing in that. Very good. Very good. Uh, Brother Frank.
3: Uh, good presentation, and it's uh, good to see a lot of people out tonight. Um, there's one or two points I just wanted to make, and I hope I'm getting it across the wrong way, so I might have to be corrected, I hope anyway. Um, I understand what you're saying about the Christian community. I have a very hard time when you say that there's no such thing as an individual Christian. As an I'd independent. Independent. You mean as a, as a group type thing? As or an or
0: independent. You cannot walk this walk by yourself. You cannot. And God is not interested in that. He's he's building a team that's going to serve from Jerusalem as a team. If you don't know how to work as a team, you haven't been trained. So, So first of all, we cannot... As an independent, I am useless and hopeless and worse than useless and worse than hopeless. I understand that. As part of a team, my flaws are now covered by the teams. Murray has strengths I don't have. But I have some strengths. So now I can concentrate on my strengths and he's concentrating on his and we're complementing each other and we can actually do something. We can actually do something now. But if I was just by myself, I'm gonna do more harm than good. So this is what I'm saying that there's no such thing as an independent Christian. We have Christians who live they've been they're converted They live by themselves. They don't have a community. But if they understand, they will be reaching out. They will find ways to be connected. They'll be on Skype. They'll be writing letters. They'll be sending emails. They'll be on the phone. It's all about relationship. The commandments are all about relationships. There's no such thing as a Christian without relationships. We can't say we love God and not be in relationship with our brother because it's all about relationships. So I I hope I'm...
3: there. I was thinking something else with some other scriptures. That's why uh, I'm trying to remember who said something earlier. I think maybe it was you, Jen. Um, when we're talking about uh, persecution and stuff like that, some of us are wondering where we are in the last days. Um, Matthew 24 came to light. Uh, and there was something Jen said that made Matthew 24 come to light. And I think Rose said something as well. We have to be together together. Collective as a group, we have a basic foundation with the church. I live in Timmins, I, you know, 700 kilometers away, and people come from elsewhere. You know, it's hard to get together. And we, we try to learn what we can as best we can. But and, the and prob- again, what,
0: what I'll say to that is, Paul was in prison, and he was still in relationship. It mattered that much to him. So, so distance is not an excuse to be out of relationship. We have to be in relationship, and that takes effort.
3: Totally agree there. Uh, and I was going to kind of tie that in with Matthew 24. Uh, with what's coming on, we don't know well, when and how fast things are going to happen. But when we read Scripture, uh, maybe this is just a piece of advice to help you people, try to look at what it isn't saying. And I'm just going to give you a voice, uh, sorry, a verse And I think uh, Jen alluded to something and made me uh, think that way. In Matthew 24, it states, uh, verse 12, And because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, thinking back to Armstrong, two things had hit. One, he's talking about what's going to happen in the end days. It's not going to be nice. But the other way I'm reading it, it states, The love of many will wax cold. And once again, with what Jen and Rose said, when you have a group that's sticking together, who's going to come out of all this? You can't be a lone wolf. A wolf hunts in a pack. An individual, as a Christian, we got a problem. But as a church, collectively, yeah, we'll have our beasts or whatever, but we've got to keep going back to the basic foundation because when you read that, the way I understand it is when times are tough, I may be able to pick up the phone and phone up Rose or Hank for somebody that I need when the tribulation really starts and I think we're all going to be in that boat maybe and we got to think that way so
0: you know very, very good and I'm glad you brought those scriptures out the old, you, as you were talking Frank it reminded me of the saying we either stand together or fall apart uh, and I think that's exactly what you're saying um, so that scripture says the love of many will wax cold in the end time it doesn't say the love of all will wax cold because there's another scripture that says, exhort one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we, two, we see two streams. We're both heading to the end time. One stream, iniquity is abounding. We don't have the Nathaniel standing up and, uh, or Nathan standing up and confronting us to correct our course. So we're getting deeper and deeper into sin. And the love is waxing cold. But then there's this other group that as we approach the day, we're exhorting each other more and more. And the love is actually growing deeper so that when Christ returns, we're actually ready for that return. And I think that's, that's the real message here.
1: Yeah.
10: You know, I can uh, agree with uh, Brother Adrian, uh, Adrian there because uh, where we live in, in Newfoundland, we are isolated. And, uh, you know, the only way that we can uh, have fellowship is uh, to listen to the the program on TV to have our DVDs CDs but then we also have the computer that we can contact members <coughs> of uh, the church and we got the phone that we can contact them because we don't always have the the, the fellowship that we can be together and uh, we have learned that uh, we do need each other, that we have to (coughs) reach out to other brethren. And it's not only in uh, international. We do it with United and uh, other groups also.
0: Actually, I'm very glad you mentioned that as well, uh, Brother Clarence. Uh, Nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere, I've spent a lot of time studying them. Do I see CGI? It's just not there. And I think to reach out to our brethren. You know, we're we're in an organization because we have work to do and we need to be organized to do that work. But it doesn't make us an exclusive group that we are the only people who have the spirit of God. Anyone who has the spirit of God, that's the community. And we want to be, we encourage you. Reach out and we thank the, the brethren that are with us. We are honored by their presence. Uh, we have brethren from United here and, and maybe a couple of other churches. Wonderful, they're our guests of honor, they're our, they're our brothers and sisters. And we're honored that they have seen past organization because there's no organization in the Bible, if, There's just the Spirit of God.
4: I just want to highlight Clarence here for a second. Um, we talk about being stuck out in uh, away from everybody and not being able to fellowship. Uh, Clarence has a list of a, at least a hundred people he sends a happy Sabbath email to every mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. uh, there's, w- we have no excuse. Yeah. Yeah.
11: Yeah. You mentioned about that loneliness. Um, the other part of it is the psychological isolation that the enemy imposes on you. Um, you could be belonging to a congregation, but if you, the enemy is burdening you down with oppression from whatever side. You're going to feel as though you're in a world all by yourself.
5: Very good.
11: And you're going to feel as though there's nobody who can understand you, nobody can hear you, no one you can trust. And I remember um, coming from the Seventh Day Adventist, thank God, because that was a community that's extremely tight. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about after church where we're still playing domino up to 12 o'clock and Mm -hmm. we're still talking and everybody's just hearing everybody. And there's nothing that could separate us. That tightness, and I'm still tight with that Seventh-day Adventist community because I learned Mm -hmm. that tightness. Mm -hmm. And so when I go to a Messianic congregation, they are so busy pushing people out. They don't even know where they're going to come in. And I'm saying, what kind of foolishness is that? I don't need this foolishness. You know, so when you, like you said, when you're grounded in something for so long, and then you, you come, now you come into a place of, I would say, darkness, there's nothing they can do to overshadow you. However, it's that psychological isolation that they impose on you to make sure you know you don't belong, as though they mm. have the power to shut up mm. heaven from you. So if you in a community, you you have to get past all of those barriers in life, get past them, ask for help to be healed and get past them because right now we are going through our tribulations before we die. We're going through all that and we we go through so much pain. And if I didn't have someone to talk to, to call on, I would die in my isolation. I would die in my emotional pain. I would die in my psychological pain. So having people in our community, we can call and say, Brother Tony, can I talk to you about something? Can you help me? Sister Rose, uh, you know, like something's bothering me. I just can't get over this thing. You know, why should I sit there and drive myself crazy? Well, I don't want to drive other people crazy, Mm -hmm. but why should I make myself go insane walking around talking to myself? Mm -hmm. Oh, this brother did this to me, this sister did that to me. That's what the enemy wants. That's the last stage of putting you in captivity Very where good. he can isolate you and feel that you're not part of this community. So you have to make yourself part of the community, belong into it.
0: So That was an excellent comment, and I think on such an excellent comment, uh, great insight. I think we'll, we'll close there. Um, I'll, I'll just close with the, uh, I'm just going to repeat what Pastor Murray said on opening night. Make this an extraordinary feast. This, we're, in, we're involved in something real here. And and what Sister Pauline just highlighted for us about psychological isolation, we need to expunge that from our community. We need to make sure that everybody really belongs here and feels that they belong and feels the love here. Let's make this an extraordinary feast. Let's end there. Praise and worship. Yes. Uh, sorry, brethren. Um, you know what? My, my bad. I forgot that there was praise and worship schedule, so we still want to do that. Um, if I had remembered, I would have cut the study sh- even shorter. Uh, so we're, we're going to have the praise and worship and the study.